You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Greetings. This is a message from Dr. Alan Honlove of the Good Catch Institute. The weather is getting colder, and you're still desperately one-hanging your fall project. Or maybe you've decided to do something easier, but more miserable, like ice climbing. Isn't it time to renew your commitment to your belayer with something more than an occasional high-five? Good Catch is here to help you reinvigorate the foundation of what brought you and your belayer together in the first place. Our expert staff here at Good Catch suggests that you create a safe, warm space for your belayer with the belay parka and stance belay pants combo from our friends at Black Diamond Equipment. The BD belay parka features two layers of insulation, a two-way zipper for wrapping that belay device, and huge internal pockets where your belayer can keep your shoes warm for your next go. The stance belay pants bring the heat with side zips to get in and out even with crampons on. Being wrapped in the BD belay parka and stance belay pants create the feeling of a warm hug from a trusted loved one without the actual human touch that might, you know, give your belayer the wrong idea. But nothing says, Uh, dude, I'm just going to try this part one more time. Like some bomber insulated outerwear from Black Diamond Equipment. Check it all out at blackdiamondequipment.com or your favorite local shop. And remember, if you are cold, they're freezing their ass off. Well, howdy, Chris. What brings you out to the old fishing hole? You know, I just wanted to say that when Yeti asked me to advertise for their Yonder water bottle, I was a little skeptical. You know, like what the heck am I going to say to get folks excited about a water bottle? Yep, could be dull as ditch water. And yet he has all those other great products, like awesome coolers, the stainless drinkware, and heck, he even got that bucket thing. (laughs) Yeah, the bucket. But anyway, then I started using my own Yeti Yonder water bottle, and well, that cap you have that can open the fill hole and or the drink hole, it's pretty genius. The other day, I dropped ice and drink mix in the big hole, shook it up, and then I could easily drink out of the small hole without sloshing everything down my chin. No drinking problem here. You're lighter than stainless steel. I have been working out. And BPA-free. I don't know what that means. And you have a clippable handle just right for climbers. Anyway, I'm sorry I thought you were some boring old water bottle yonder. You really are a better bottle. People take water for granted all the time, right up until they ain't got none, and their mouths drier than a dead dingo's ukulele. Well... Anybody you want can ogle my sweet curves at Yeti.com or any fine outdoor establishment. Oh, fish on, brother. Reel it in easy, yonder. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing it at? You, are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place. That's, out. That's a big nice. place. You sold oh, it out. Out. I'll say, so you really out. should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed having with you. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Good weather. Bad weather. Now or later, anytime. Today's show is brought to you by Black Time and Equipment, La Sportiva, and with support from Maxim Ropes. Maxim has been keeping the normal cast off the deck since 2012. And now... 
We can also thank the chill folks at Yeti. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and entry Normo at checkout to get a great deal on great coffee and to support the Enormacast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Enormacast. This is your host, Chris Kalous. It is September 26th, 2023, about 11 o'clock p.m. here in Colorado. And this is episode 271, a conversation with boulderer and climbing coach, Charlie Schreiber. And though Charlie coaches climbers of all ages at his business, Paradigm Climbing, the meat of this episode is talking about coaching youth. Charlie's coached youth climbers since he was a youth climber. I think he started at 16 and continues to coach a climbing team. In addition to what he does at Paradigm Climbing with adults, with private coaching, that sort of thing. So when Charlie got in touch with me, I was kind of interested in talking mostly about youth climbing. Because I'll admit, and I admitted to Charlie in a series of emails, I'm a youth sports skeptic. There's a promise that goes with youth sports, whether it's climbing or anything else, football, volleyball, whatever it happens to be, this this sort of unassailable promise about uh, all the things that youth sports teach everybody about leadership and about good sportsmanship, teamwork, all these sorts of things. And um, I don't think it always delivers on that promise, actually. Not only in my own schooling past and my own youth sports past, but um, as a teacher, I didn't always see that promise get fulfilled. There is a dark side to it all. You know, there's an exclusion of a certain group of kids. And even within the sports, the pressure, the disordered eating, all these outcomes that can be a lot more negative. And, you know, I'm just not much of a team sports guy. Never was. Never very good at uh, at joining in and that kind of thing. And I think a lot of the climbers I've had on here came from that same sort of background. So when Charlie got in touch with me, I did want to talk to him. I wanted to talk to him about his philosophies around coaching youth. Um, and much of this interview is him sort of assuaging my doubts, if you will. I'm 52. I've held these prejudices for a long time. I don't know if one good coach is going to gonna cure them, but I really did enjoy this conversation. And um, I hope Charlie felt comfortable uh, dealing with my uh, my doubts and pitching what he believes in for youth climbing. So a lot of good discussion in here. This isn't just one for the parents. I think anybody out there in climbing is sort of interacting with youth climbers. Um, usually that interaction involves them crushing your project in front of you. But uh, but yeah, so this is kind of uh, a talk about this whole new wave of climbers out there, of, of kids getting into it, something that is relatively new, something that's kind of of the last 10 or 15 years. And uh, yeah, good discussion. Hope you guys enjoy it. The skeptic versus the coach, a conversation with Charlie Schreiber. Hey guys, it's me again. That's right, your toes. And I'll tell you, there's one thing us toads hate more than ice climbing. It's crack climbing. So if you got to do it, and I know you got to, then Sportiva has some cool choices for you to climb hard and still give us toes a smooth ride. Of course, the venerable TC Pro. Can't be beat on those bigger crack sizes and multi-pitch trad. But what about the thin stuff? Well, and I don't even think Sportiva knows this. 
the Kubo. That's right, I said it, the Kubo. His Sportiva's ultra-comfortable all-arounder, but it also happens to be a thin, crack, ultra-tech super shoe. More support than a slipper, but just enough rubber and all the right places to get in and get on with the type of jamming you need on the thin stuff. Don't believe me? Then buy the Kubo for its edging, smearing, and comfort that's like a hug from a warm, fuzzy puppy. You know, if a puppy had arms and wasn't one of them stupid ones that eats poop. And then give him a fling on your thin crack project. You'll come around to the Kubo, or my name isn't... A what? Oh, <laughs> we're late for our pedicure. Okay, I gotta go. But check out the Kubo and all the other great shoes at Sportiva.com or your local shop. And of course, tell them your toes sent you. And it's like kind of a family trip, but we should be able to climb a little bit, even though it'll be hot. Um, but hopefully if the weather's good, I mean, that's ideal for me and Mallorca, even though the the true deep water soloers go there in the fall when it's like better Actual climbing conditions. conditions but, yeah. You know, and then I watch the climb and you see them all in their freaking down jackets, you yeah, know, dude. sitting in the boat. I was like that. I'm not into that. <laughs> I don't Miserable. care how good the conditions are. I want it to be warm. <laughs> yeah. No, I, so. you know, I went on that, uh, I don't know if you saw in the email, I went on that long honeymoon, the, uh, mm-hmm. nine weeker through Europe and the last, like my, since I watched dosage five as like a kid, I, I've always wanted to go to Mallorca and I, that was the, like the capstone of the trip. And we mm-hmm. had our last six days planned for Mallorca, all booked, everything last minute we're we're gonna leave in a day and we right. just completely audible cancel it take like take the loss on the money and just extend the trip to uh be in Bar- uh, longer because right. i kept thinking it's like it's november right now i know how much i hate cold water hate it me and too I it's hate- like my total achilles heel same yeah it's my biggest fear in life also is dark murky water <laughs> So like the ocean freaks me out as it is. I'm trying to get over it. But like that, the combination is just like worst case scenario. Right. I'm fine with just bouldering in a long sleeve for the rest of this trip. Cool. Yeah. No, I, I totally like that'd be miserable. Um, yeah. Yeah. I hate I and every, you know, like people are like, let's go on this river or whatever. And I'm like, it's freezing cold. They're like, no, you can wear a, you know, you can wear a dry suit. And I'm like, yeah, but it still splashes my face. Yeah, that's like the worst feeling. Like I don't even splash my face with cold water like in the morning. It's got to be at least tepid um, (laughs) water when I like after shaving or whatever. I'm like, I'm not doing it. Um, Yeah, there's nothing pleasant about it. (laughs) No, I know. So the summer is um, the play. You're smart. Yeah, but um, it's funny because then you know people throw. Well, I thought you were some sort of tough climber. Like, what does being cold in cold water have to do with climbing? Like, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, um. It's always like all my friends who don't climb like from the Midwest I always throw the I thought you were a tough climber thing at me. I'm like, you have no idea what you're talking about. Like what I do in climbing is like the wimpiest thing ever. Like, you know, going to rifle on a sunny afternoon is, you know, it's not like I'm on the West Ridge of of Everest or something, you know, which is what everybody kind of thinks. Like a scrape from a knee bar is the worst. <laughs> we get. The, um, yeah, I hope I didn't sound too surly in my last email. But I've always wanted to sort of talk to somebody about, I mean, I, I, have like a, I have like a deep prejudice, I think. One of these things where I'm, I, it's not even really logical and it probably comes from a place of like emotional damage that I have. You know, 
you seem to be sort of this all-in coach um, as far as your emails to me and stuff like that. It's like you're, you're, it seems to be a very deep passion of yours. You know, you talk about some of these, these kids that you've, you've coached that have gone on to, you know, be really excellent competitors and excellent boulderers. Um, and then there's all the kids sort of in between. But where did this, uh, where did this desire, um, this passion that comes across from you, you know, to be a youth coach in particular, um, where did it come from? Was it, was it something instilled in you as a, as a youth climber yourself, as a competitor yourself, or, or was it from a place of like, I think I could do this better? Um, cause some coaches, <laughs> you know, some coaches have yeah. a bad experience and they're like, that's not how you coach. I'm going to, I'm going to do this better. Where did it come from? It's like a, a perfect storm of all the things that you just said. Honestly, it was, I think in the very beginning, you know, I, I was a huge jock growing up. So I had, I was doing sport all year round for like four different teams at a time, club, travel, and school and, and rec. And I had all these different coaches. I had some great coaches. I had some really, really bad ones. And I wouldn't say I had any bad ones in climbing. I, I, I did not, in my opinion. I, I had all very good coaches. Uh, but there were definitely things that I thought that, you know, no one's perfect. Everyone can do everything better. I just was lucky to have a lot of learning experiences along the way and people that showed me great things to do that kind of gave me the tools to when I first started to to learn that I wanted to be a coach myself, which I in the beginning, I think it stemmed from I've, as a kid, I was the class clown always, and I love acting and performing. So coaching when you you're with a youth team or you're really coaching anybody, you you kind of are performing in front of them, and I'm here to teach you. I'm going to teach you through you know, demonstration, uh, through the ex- explanation of idea, or through uh, through story, and. I just quickly learned, wow, this is something that I am good at. I really like being able to convey an idea uh, and then see somebody implement it and succeed. You know, obviously that makes them feel good, which then they're appreciative of me for doing for them. And that is, you know, my reward on the other end. And uh, I guess over time, it just built to the point where I wanted more and more of it and wanted to do it with bigger and better teams. And then as a competitor myself, really wanted to use everything that I was doing in my own climbing career to basically pay it forward and teach others. You know, I could basically give the best service to other people and get the best reward myself by teaching them everything that I'm doing. So you mentioned just a second ago, you know, you had great coaches, you had really bad coaches. Tell me a little bit about um, that needle. Um, what what did you see in certain people that were working with you as a kid that was great? Uh, and then we'll we'll talk maybe a little bit about the bad. And of course, we're not you don't have to be specific and you know call out whoever it was that like you know messed with your head or something like that. But what what looked great to you? Um, what do you remember as as being uh, the aspects of a great coach from your experience? So the best coaches to me in the past, whenever I think back, they're always the people and like, they're all from, you know, youth sports when I'm thinking way back or, or mm-hmm. they're con- climbing coaches uh, that I still see every year at like in my local area or at nationals uh, or other championship events. But when I go back, like when you first a- asked that question, the first thought that came to mind was this guy, yeah, his name is Rob Mann. He was uh, my baseball coach. And, uh, 
he was like every time you saw Rob, it was a huge. He had big personality, and he would call you, uh, you know, his nickname that he gave to you, talk you up. Just he knew everything that was going on in your life. He he knew everything that you liked. He was really loud for you all the time. Whenever you got up to bat, he'd say your nickname and say something that you did recently that was great. Like, and he was always positive. Always, no matter what, even if you failed horribly in the game, he would find a good positive every single time. And when I see Rob, grow, like after I've been on his teams, it was sixth grade. I, I did win him two championships, so he really liked me. Still my greatest sports achievement to date is throwing a no-hitter to win the sixth grade championship. Oh, and uh, yeah, oh my you god, peaked in sixth grade. I peaked. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I'm just hanging on now for for some form of redemptive glory. Uh, but yeah, I, I see Rob now in in the neighborhood, and it's he still smiles, and I'm I'm so excited to see him. It's because it's nothing but good memories, and he taught me a lot of great things about how to be a coach, how to think honestly when when the pressure's on. Just kept a positive mindset when I was on that team. So. I think that that's the best version of a coach. Obviously, if you can combine that with excellent instruction and demonstration, that's probably the most effective uh, form of coaching, somebody that is uplifting to all their athletes and can teach them a lot and be be a friend, really, and a role model and a mentor. But the, the bad coaches I had would hold grudges. I have uh, two in particular that seemed to always be disappointed. You could absolutely tell when they were very disappointed in you and tell you that. Uh, I was told to my face that um, it aggravates a coach when I make the same mistake every time that, you know, I was honestly trying my best to to fix. I, I always dropped my shoulder. Well, not always. I for For a full two years, I was dropping my shoulder when I went to hit and I'd pop out. Or, or I'd crush it deep, it was, but there was no in between. And so he would, every time I get up to bat, if I popped out, as I came back, he'd be like, come on, man, drop, you're doing it again. I know I'm doing it. I know that. I already feel horrible about myself. I don't need you to break me down any further. I'm on this team so I can have fun. And it seems you've lost sight of that. And I, Get you might want what's best for me, but you're letting your own frustrations in yourself, maybe for not being able to coach me, or you know, you have all of these emotions inside of you and you can't control them in the moment. But it's no one needs your frustration right now in game or even in practice. Yeah, I think you're talking about a pretty, you know, common sort of stereotype anyway. That the the idea of like, you know the sort of negative feedback will motivate a kid to, you know, to rise above or, or something like that. And I, you know, I was a high school teacher actually, which I've mentioned on here before. And that, that kind of thing, you know, it's, it's hard on the day to day to not let your own frustrations, not like, again, not even in the kid or whatever, like come through. But I totally remember, I could remember the times when I blew it and I was like, you know, I just made that situation worse. And it had, you know, as much to do with like the fact that something in my life was going on that I was just in a bad mood or whatever. But like, I learned to like more and more as I got more experience to step back from that and just be like, no, 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 no. Like, don't say the little shot, don't take the shot or whatever it happens to be, especially when I was dealing with, 
17 and 18 year olds, you know, because they're, you know, they felt old enough to like handle it. But it's almost like this military style motivation. Um, I feel like a lot of it sort of comes from that, like this whole drill sergeant mentality that we see in movies and things like that. This like, I'll just beat them down until they rise up. You, what you just said is so, so spot on. Like, and, and if you're a coach, you feel it. Like there's, I don't think there's a single coach on this planet that doesn't struggle every day with that. You know, you all, you have that internal dialogue that's saying, man, I'm frustrated with this kid. I really want to let them know how frustrated I am. And I really want to, if they're like, you know, sometimes you get a kid that won't stop saying your name like over and over when you're talking with someone else. And in your mind, especially if you're on a high, in a high stress moment or things have not been going your way that day, it's easy to just get irritated and snap at them. But snapping at them, I've, I've really, really, really taken a lot of work because when I was younger and, you know, I was, I've been doing this since I was 16. So when I was very new to coaching, I had a ton of little kids on my last team. It was great, easy to have a ton of fun, but it could be overwhelming. And I realized that when I would snap, uh, which luckily I, I kept a good control over, but the few times it did happen, the kids would be devastated because I never did it. So when I'd get irritated and do that, it would take like a whole practice, maybe even more to kind of reconcile that. And I would never snap and be mean, but I would like, you know, show blatantly that I was, I was irritated. And uh, it doesn't help anyone. And it just shows that you are, you don't have the, like if someone was watching, a mature adult was watching you and they saw that happen. That just shows unprofessionality and that you don't have a control over your own emotions. And that you honestly, in my opinion, possibly might lack the maturity to deal with that situation properly like like a trained professional in the profession of coaching and teaching children should have like we all know the best teachers don't do that we've had that teacher they could have a billion kids calling their name and they'll just slowly go yes children how can i help you like miss Lodi, <laughs> my, my old fourth grade teacher best right. teacher of all time sweetest woman alive so good everyone loved her yeah, but I mean, there's also the sort of being human, but um, which I think kids want to see as well, but not maybe in that that part of it. Showing yourself failing as a climber uh, is probably more apt way to 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 become human in their eyes. But um, you know, I have a question too. I, you know, you sent me some information about climbing philosophies and stuff. And um, again, as a former teacher and as a dad of a seven year old, especially a seven year old um, with special needs, um, as my son has, um, I'm kind of curious about. Again, you got this group of kids together, some coming and going, you know, new kids showing up and other kids like aging out or, or moving on. And it's pretty easy to think about when you're a teacher and, and you know, I, I was a trained educator, have, you know, a now lapse certificate in secondary education. And, you know, the idea of teaching the really hardworking kids, the the kids who excel, that's kind of pretty easy to think about. Like, you know, easy to motivate, you can build on successes. And really, I'm more interested always in, you know, how you think about the sort of kids in the middle, um, or even including the kids who who have various barriers to, to being, you know, really great at climbing, whether it's body issues, you know, I just had Drew Halsey on the show, who's, you know, 
this fat climber by his own words, you know, don't get mad because I call him fat. That's what he, he talks about as well. Um, you know, and, and th- those are barriers to the kind of um, achievement that, you know, competitions measure and, and things like that. So tell me a little bit about how you think about sort of the breadth of, of abilities when you have a group of kids and, and how you cater to maybe even more to the middle of that ability level versus the, you know, sending the, the super strong kid over to, to do his, his repetitions is not a problem, you know? Yeah. Well, this is honestly something that has been, uh, yeah, on our team, we've been working on the best way to cater towards everybody. So when we, we started our team, actually on my last team, I had a great system where I had uh, one large team that we all started on because I was lucky to have them all as day one climbers, everybody. And, you know, they were all about the same level in the beginning. And as they grew together, there were separations and uh, obvious uh, differences in level of uh, motivation. And so we created an optional day that kids could come in if you had a high level of motivation uh, for Fridays would be an extra mock competition practice. And the highest, most motivated kids uh, would come to those practices and attend Saturday practices too. And so I thought at that time that making a separate team that is just those kids so that they don't have to deal with distractions from other team members that aren't as motivated and uh, get the, the more opportunities that I, as a you know high-performing coach can can offer them can really feel like my time is spent most wisely uh i i figured creating that team at my new gym when i moved here would be the best play possible and it it did work for many kids but i think that having a separate team sometimes places a lot of pressure on some kids who may think that they want to be on a team like that but when they realize how much that actually changes from their typical program that they're used to on a competitive team going up to a an elite team, which is what we had, I think it can shock a kid and get the, the reverse result uh, from what you actually want. So normally you'd think that these kids would be even more motivated with all these new opportunities, but some kids are less motivated because... The, being at the top of the pack and on the previous team, now they're at the bottom of the pack on this higher team. And, you know, we all know how we change as a climber mentally and honestly, like physically, as a direct result from mentally, when we're climbing around, when we're the weakest in the group. We also climb a, a different way when we're the strongest in the group. I, for some reason, personally, I have two different ways. If I'm the weakest in the group, I climb really, really well. If I'm the strongest in the group, I climb really, really well. If I'm in the middle and there are a couple people better than me, I don't climb nearly as well. And I am not, I, I think I have my own reasons as to why that is. I'm not, not going to go down the rabbit hole of that. But I, I see that happen in a lot of my kids, some rise and some fall. And then it's the same thing with the pressure. You know, the, uh, you're now on an elite team. Some kids rise, some kids fall. So we we did get rid of the the label and brought it back to one team. And to answer your question, what we do now is we offer the same exact program to the kids that are at the middle of the pack 
and the upper end of the pack. But within the coaches, uh, I've done a lot more work to educate my coaches as to what each kid needs, how to push each kid. We've asked every single kid on our team how much you want to be pushed. When do you want feedback? What type of feedback do you want? What are your goals? What are your goals now for the season? Meaning the in-season, the preseason, the off-season. What do you want out of this program? That way we know best how to cater towards, towards each kid because they are individual kids. It's, it's such a spectrum, you know, it's, it's like in other sports, it's, you have kids that are slightly better at this and at that. And we do have it in climbing, but it's, it's hard to ignore the grade based nature of this sport and how it's so hard to have kids work on the same climb when they're all different ages and ability levels. So we've opened up the, the programming to be a little bit more free for the kids during my, my drills to, to go on different terrain and, and get different stimulus based on their weakness and strength. And then we adapt the coaching around, you know, what they are on and how, what their motivation level is and their feedback and what their goals are. So we're still trying to find a balance, but I, I think it's working really well right now. Well, that's cool. I mean, it's the balance is, is really the thing because I mean, you have, like you just said, I mean, any sport, any, any, anything like that. I mean, whether it's, I mean, it could be an academic competition or an academic group, you know, it could be a chess thing, it could be the band. It doesn't really matter. Like if it's ability based, then there's going to be this breadth of, of people with different abilities. And it's interesting because, you know, as a, as a teacher, the ideal, and you hear it a lot is, is individualized, right? Like, you know, come up with a way to teach every kid to their to their ability, which is like an awesome philosophy. But when you, you know, especially in public schools, when, the, when you, whatever, you have 120 kids a, in, as a high school teacher across several classes, like it's, you know, a thousand times easier said than done. Um, but, you know, as you were talking, I realized that like you, you know, with a climbing team, that's however many kids, I don't know how many kids you guys have, but it's never going to be, I think, too big to actually live that philosophy that, that I think most educators talk about, but have a hard time doing. Yeah, that's, that's the dream. And you're right. In practicality, it's really, really hard. It takes a lot of effort on the coaches. We're lucky to have a lot of coaches on my team. It would be great Uh if we had a lot of full-time coaches, but it's, you know, what you, and same thing with teachers, right? It would be great if I had, you had five teachers for every classroom. That would be phenomenal, but no one can afford that. One one of the things I I sort of talked to you previously about this is I you know I'm a little ambivalent on the on the kind of uh, party line around youth sports and and again it's like this kind of I, I it's like this either trauma induced like prejudice that I have from my youth you know I was never very good at sports I was always very small so I was the smallest guy on every team and you know. And that just like eventually just split me off into not doing competitive sports. And I, I talked to so many climbers on here who had that in their background of like, yeah, I I didn't fit into this, this scene. And so I've always been a little bit like, oh no, climbing's got that now too. (laughs) Like all the shit I hated, now it's in climbing as well. So, and I understand that that's like a completely biased and like I said, you know, talking about you and and why you don't climb well with kids that are only slightly better than you. Like we could unpack that. Well, we could spend months unpacking my, my previous prejudice. So 
with that said, like what is your, I mean, you believe in this, you're a, you're a coach. It's, it's your passion. Like what is your feelings about what climbing brings to the table for these kids? Why specifically climbing? What do you see is the, the benefits of these kids being on your team, whether they, you know, whether they excel or whether they don't, you know, what's your pitch to a parent or anything else for, for what you bring to the table for these kids? Cause it's, it's, it's important that we realize that the idea of them ever winning a competition or something like that is the end and, and the means are what are important, what happens, you know, in the meantime, so to speak. Okay. So I'm going to go directly to the problem, the main issue that you're talking about. And I want to talk about that and how that is unavoidable if you don't lay out the expectations and the understanding of the process and the journey right out in the beginning. So whenever I have new people join our team, and that's usually people that come from another gym that I'm you know, explaining our philosophy and our process of our team, or kids that are coming up through our program and are now eligible to compete. What's so important to avoid, you know, the negative, all of those negative things that you discussed and, and especially, you know, being that kid that does not perform year after year uh, and having such a traumatic experience from, you know, never finding a quote unquote win. You're not doing this to win. You're, you didn't find climbing to win. And the things that truly make us fulfilled and happy in life are, you know, connections with other people connections to the natural world around us and improvements in our life and the, that process of being fulfilled through you know just taking it one step further towards mastery in something and feeling like I'm a little bit better or a little bit stronger today than I was yesterday so what I tell people all the kids on the team is that I don't care how you do in competitions and nor should you you know, I, I like to say that I, I use this. I say you, the only time that I care about competitions is when, you know, I, I was an open competitor and I had people watching me that I was coaching. And the only thing I cared about was showing them how much I enjoyed it and how much I, you know, put out onto the field and how much of my soul I gave to it because I enjoyed it that much. Other than that, of course, you know, there's, there's winning which is great. But whenever I think back to all my competitions, it really took a lot of reflection. I think that asking kids to reflect in the very beginning is the most important thing. When I think back, it's, you know, I've, I've won a bunch of great competitions. Those were great. But my best competition moment ever, whenever I think about it, was, you know, I, I went to the first World Cup out in Myringen. And I got 115th place out of 115 people. I got dead last. I told my parents I never wanted to compete again. I changed the way I trained, though. After one day of saying that, I was like, no, I can't. I can't quit. I love this. I can do better. I'm going to change the way I train. Trained really hard in all the right ways. And at the Vail World Cup, a month and a half later, I got 49th. An unbelievable improvement. I didn't come anywhere close to winning. I didn't make semifinals. I was, you know, I was like 29 spots out of semis, but that huge jump in performance, just improving was enough. I, I mean, that I walked out of that. That was the best weekend of my life, honestly. And I tell the kids every day, if you 
approach practice and you approach the competitions as an opportunity for you to have a data point in your process of am I improving in climbing? You know, that's that's very important. And am I making positive relationships and connections in this network of people that are like-minded like me and share a passion? And am I traveling the country, checking out new gyms, checking out beautiful climb areas? Those are the things that this sport offers. You know, along the way, you're going to get the other benefits of, you know, learning how to persevere, be determined, uh, be goal-oriented. You're going to get the physical benefits. You're going to get a lot stronger. You're going to be fit. I mean, I can go on and on with the things that I pitch to parents, but there's all these potential positives that you can focus on without ever having your mind go down the the rabbit hole of I'm not good enough because I'm not winning competitions. I'm the short kid. I'm never going to win. You know, we I have those. I've had those on both my teams. They, I mean, it's it's so so challenging when you're one of the shorter kids, especially with the competition style now. It's all jumping. And they they do cater towards the, the setters, cater towards the kids that are better at jumping. If, obviously if you're if you're bigger, you can more easily reach things. So these these kids on my team, you know, I've got real I'll be honest, I do have two. And um I'm not gonna go too deep into that. I don't want to put these throw these kids under the bus, but there's different ways ways to react. And there's different you know, there's different types of mindsets to approach those, those competitions with. And one type leaves the competition feeling empowered and the other type leaves feeling deflated. So it's, it's something you constantly have to remind kids of. And that's honestly, I, I think one of my biggest and most important, uh, roles as a coach is that I'm there to remind you of where where your mind should be at how how are you approaching every day at practice so that you can stay you know healthy how often do you throw the lynn hill the card? lynn hill <laughs> is, is oh, that yeah, even yeah. effective anymore does anyone does any of these they kids don't. even know they who don't. That it's anymore. so sad dude i they, <laughs> okay they're getting so young they don't even know sharma it's bad it's bad oh really yeah <laughs> You have to do a like a, a side thing where they have to, you know, it's like a, a, a communist re-education camp where they have to go and learn all these things in addition to, yeah. No, the Lynn Hill card is funny because, I mean, that's like, what, 40 years of people when a short person complains that, yep. you know, someone's like, but what about yeah, Lynn Yeah, it's true. I mean, I use, there's so many now. We've got Brooke Rabatou right. on, on the circuit. We've got Colin right. Duffy, who's... Uh, a smaller athlete his entire career, Sean Bailey, Drew Ruana, Daniel Woods. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the list goes on and on. It, it's great that, and it's funny, like the majority of these high performing athletes are actually smaller. So let me ask you this. The, um, again, I was talking about this kind of trend before youth climbing blew up and, and gyms blew up. This idea that a lot of climbers found climbing because of, again, a bit of a, if not alienation, at least not an interest in more organized things. Do you still find, you know, kids showing up with an interest in climbing because they're, they're looking for something that some of these other sports or communities are fitting in. They, they, they want that versus what, you know, their school life's offering them or or whatever else. Is that still a trend um, with kids showing up to your team? It's just, yeah, it's so funny that people like don't, it's not just like an obvious thing at this point. It's like everyone has different skill sets. 
and typical sports, you know, if you don't have an affinity for regular sports or like you don't have a natural ability for hand-eye coordination, if you didn't develop it at a young age, you're, you're just going to be right, right out of the gates. You will enjoy the sport less if you are someone who is outcome oriented, which everyone has a little bit of. So you will obviously get right. less playing time in, in sports, typically in, in recreational sports. And it just doesn't have the appeal. Plus, climbing is the coolest thing on the planet. So it's pretty obvious people are going to, once they <laughs> see it, say, oh, that's okay. That's what I'm doing for the rest of my life. Cool. But yeah, we do get a lot of kids, right. a lot of parents still telling us, oh, you know, this is his thing. He didn't like the, the other sports. They never appealed to him. Her, they, you know, they've, they've done gymnastics and then they say all these other off the, the norm things that, uh, like different activities. Mm-hmm. And they say, and then when they found climbing, that this, that was it. That's always what it is. Once they found climbing, that was it. They knew this, this is the only thing they want to do. I, th- I mean, that, that makes me smile because I think, you know, it's just always, in my opinion, been this, this outlet for, for a lot of those kids. And, and I'm glad that it sort of continues to be that. And I, you know, that whole playing time or team thing is just, uh, it just doesn't appeal to some kids and, and it didn't to me. And I, I'm certain that climbing, I was on that path of like climbing, you know, and this was an outdoor thing at the time, but, but it's still, it's like your own path and, and there is no sidelines to sit on and watch. I mean, it, you know, once you get to the actual competition, certainly, but there's no sidelines to watch from, you know, you can watch your friend climb, but then you can turn around and go climb the other thing or ignore them. I mean, that's kind of always been the thing I think is really fascinating about it is, is there are no sidelines, you know, and, and it's a, it's a great, cool thing in that sense of, of, um, being able to just do whatever you want, whenever you want. And, and no, and the, the lack of like structure and rules again is like always been cool, but then it's always made me like a little bit like, Oh no, the competitions are like, they're bringing it in. They're going to do it anyway. But part of me is, you know, it's like you just mentioned, there's a, all of us have some level of, of outcome oriented, you know, it's the way you get through life. I mean, otherwise you are just going to sit on the couch and do nothing. Um, so I, I realize there is like this human need for it in a sense as well, because even though I can say I don't compete in climbing, it's like, of course I do. Like it's on my mind, you know, who's climbing well and who's not. And, you know, I just compete with myself. Yeah, maybe, but you know, we rank each other, we look at each other. So it's, 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 it is sort of inherent. And in some ways I feel like, and I like what you're saying about, um, sort of controlling the direction in which that well, not controlling, that's not a good word, sort of trying to guide the direction where those kind of natural impulses go. Comparing yourself to another person can be motivated, motivating, but it can also be demoralizing. Um, and it seems like you're sort of aware of, of the directions in which those thoughts, those kind of natural thoughts sort of go and helping guide these kids towards a positive version of comparing yourself. There is comparing yourself, and then there's actually using that comparison to be productive which I think is the thing that people lack as a whole in their life more than any other thing. I I think that, you know, people probably have as missing opportunities where we have all these tools around us in this form of self-help, education, everything. We see people succeeding at all of these things that we do on a daily basis. And and, and you can take this directly into a climber watching someone else that's better than them at, at the gym. 
we're interested because it's something that we want to get better at, or we, we do constantly. And we see that they have some personality trait, some discipline, some aspect of themselves that they're doing better than we are doing. And we have an opportunity there to see that and replicate it to get more of what we want out of something we regularly do, which will, you know, odds are benefit us in, in a, a net gain for our life. And we have the opportunity to make the change. Now, it's the kids that sit there. It's how I, I sometimes, you know, with my the kids that really want the pressure, I do ask the question of how much longer are you okay with not making the change? How much longer are you okay with seeing it, knowing what they're doing that's different than you, and seeing right in front of you every day what you have to do to get to that level? How much longer are you okay with? Because I'll be, I'm okay with whatever you say, however long it takes. How many more days are you okay with sitting here and knowing that you have the power to make the change and not doing it? Because right. that's us with everything in life, right? You know there's better ways to do everything you're doing. There's ways to be more efficient in how you're working, more disciplined. Why don't we do it every day? Yeah, why don't you put your phone down? You know you should put your phone down. Right. Like, put your phone down. Go to but sleep. Just- My biggest thing is go to sleep. Why are you awake right now? Just put your head in the bed. It's right there. It's super comfy. Um, it's funny because I sort of ask, I ask women coaches this more. Um, for some reason, and I, I, maybe I, again, it's sort of a stereotype that I have, but you know, what about being presented with like kids whose performance or whose enjoyment of the sport, you know, who's fitting in on your team is, is being impeded by something that's going on outside of the framework of, of climbing, going back to this idea of like these kids coming in because they're not fitting in anywhere else or finding climbing, you know, the story again on the podcast has been like, yeah shit sucked at home. And I, you know, I would, I would go to the gym because it was a special place where I felt like I was okay. It's not really your realm. And I think teachers just in any, any place have been put in this position of being asked to deal with that. Like what, what do you look for in your kids and how far do you go to kind of like deal with that? I mean, whether it's even stuff like disordered eating and that's kind of, I guess, where I end up asking women coaches about when they're dealing with girls because we find that to be not exclusive but definitely more prevalent with with young girls. So, yeah, what are you on the lookout for and and you know, how far do you feel okay delving into that with your kids? Because any group of kids there's going to be some of that going on. Yeah. Uh well, in on our team and you know, I talk with a lot of coaches on every team, there are kids with Many kids with uh, you know a plethora of different things that are going wrong outside of the gym. I mean, it's it's always going to be the case. You, kids don't just come in with a perfect situation every time. Uh, we have multiple different cases. Uh, we have a little bit of everything that you kind of just said. Things are going wrong at home. Things are going wrong mentally. Things are going wrong with with how they're eating and fueling for the sport. The, the thing that we do right now. And, you know, I don't, I'm not here claiming I have the, the best way to handle all of these situations, but, and, and it's, it's continuously changing too, with a lot of these, you know, like new information comes out s- seemingly like every, every year about how the last way to handle this situation is actually the wrong way to handle the situation. So 
educating on the, you know, the newest and most uh, cutting edge information that comes out when it pertains to eating disorders and anything mentally that's affecting the kid in practice. Uh, we try to give the parents as much information because, you know, while we're with the kid three hours, uh, three days a week, and that's at the most, that, that is not enough time for us to fix the situation. We're, we're basically like, you know, right? <laughs> Come on. I know. It's, you can it's, do uh, it. <laughs> I think the best approach that we can do is to be positive reinforcement for any of the concepts that the kids need to learn or I guess be, I want to say treated with, but that's not the right term. It's like, we need to play the role that we need to play in supporting the positive change that they need in their life, or we need to play the role of the positive, the release. And, and that might be the same thing as what I just said, the positive role, but they come to practice, to climbing practice, to escape. And there's a, there's a fine line, I think, between being the escape and then talking about the issue too frequently to where the escape turns into therapy. But we're climbing coaches. And whenever I play the role of therapist, I almost feel as if I'm, I'm just dancing such this fine line between saying the right and wrong thing because this isn't what I do every day, all day. You know, I'm not a professional. I don't want to pretend I'm a professional. And sometimes coaches in climbing, it, it feels like are put under this microscope and pressured to know everything. Where, you know, I, I signed up to be a rock climbing coach. I want to teach your kid how to climb rocks, how to succeed <laughs> in competitions, how to be a, a better mover and have fun with them. I'm not a therapist. And so I do recommend reaching out to a sports psychologist when it gets to something I can't handle, uh, a nutritionist, mental health, like a, a psychiatrist or psychologist, anything that is the you know the, the actual path towards re remedying the situation. Yeah, I mean, I didn't want to put you under pressure there because I understand that whole sentiment of like, well, this isn't really what I'm I'm supposed to do. But the reality of the situation is, if you if you probably are in youth sports in any level, you know, it's it's going to cross your path, and and you're going to have to decide what. And that's why I said like, how far do you go? Like, where right. is your threshold? Um, because yeah, then you've, you've gotten into some serious, yeah, serious territory that you're, again, you're maybe not qualified to do, but at the same time, let me say this, you sort of have this like choice to make. You can be the standoff regimented coach and we've had those. And if you want to go in and get to know the kid, which is, you know, something we started talking about, like you got to get to know the kid, what they love and what they don't love. You walk into all the other stuff as well. And it's kind of like, I, in some ways, I think you have, and I, I, you know, I'm speaking from experience as a teacher. Um, I taught in the classroom, but you know, a lot of the stuff applies. You have to have a little bit of blinders on, you know, because again, you're not, you're not there to delve as deep as as whatever may be, you know, changing this kid's life. But you're gonna see it, and then you have to decide what to do with sort of that information. And and you're absolutely right. Like you're there to teach them how to climb and and to give positive support. And maybe that's like as far as it ever goes. But I, it's just like I I just think any coach needs to be prepared, especially when you get into you know coaching the level of true like circuit competitor. You know, it's all right. going to come out. 
And it's like, if you're traveling with them, if you're on the road with them, if you're seeing them in their lowest point, you know, when they failed to, to, to place where they want to place or whatever, it's going to all come out and any coach should be sort of prepared to have a framework to decide what to do when presented with some of those things. No, for sure. What I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, you, you do have to be prepared, you know, cause you might be the top of the totem pole when it comes to their mentor, you know, like you, you might be right. the person they respect the most and have the, it's sad to say, but have the healthiest relationship with. So I, I'm definitely not saying mm-hmm. when kids come to me with any, anything I, like, Hey man, I'm just your climbing coach. Like, <laughs> Like you want to talk, to talk to their parents. Like, uh, no, I'm, I'm just saying, yeah, and I, and I do, I, I yeah. really do. I, I don't want to, you know, downplay this at all. Like I, I put in a ton of effort to being the support system and all of my coaches do. They're phenomenal. We have biweekly meetings, uh, with our kids. We have regular check-ins with the kids, with the parents, uh, we, we do a lot of special case treatment for, for a lot of our kids, just how, you know, we, we know there are things that you don't say to certain kids there are things you don't say around certain kids. And, and we're constantly reminding ourselves and discussing in our weekly meetings with all the coaches of how to better serve the kids. That's the main focal point every week. Uh, but mm-hmm. it just comes to a point where like you, you know, you don't have the training to, to go, you, you gotta right. know, your, you need to know your limits. I, I am like completely on board with that idea of community of of creating a space for for kids to to you know express themselves on the walls or you know in a in a more fun and less structured way and so I like I, I guess what I'm just getting at is is I like that and and the thing that sort of scares me or gives me concern is you know the coach approaching it in that way of like, I'm creating these sort of competitors and they, they, they fit into this model and, and, you know, we're going to win and we're going to like, I'm going to produce these superstars, that kind of thing. Like just, I think disregards all the stuff that we've been talking about. And that's what worries me whenever I get into these conversations and I see it, you know, I, I, I've literally seen it at gyms and, and with, with certain competitors who've come out of the competitive scene, not happy you know um so i appreciate that you're you're answering these questions and and i think anyone listening to this who's thinking about having you as their kids coach are probably really uh encouraged by what you're yeah, saying yeah and you know it's it's funny like to what you just said about the, the those types of coaches that you've seen push really hard and they you know the kid is like a almost like a vessel towards the top towards like my fulfillment of notoriety as a coach uh but when you do that to the kids, you get the opposite result of what you want. So it's, it, it, I'm glad that I realized a while ago that you know the, the real key to in climbing or honestly any sport is play. It's when kids feel like they are playing, they'll try as hard as they can. They have the most positive thought process and they're going to do all of the work that comes with playing because it's play. So if you can make your practices and your performance uh, feel like play, then you're going to have the the best possible momentum going t- towards your ultimate goal because there's really no friction in the middle. There's no uh, negative thought process around play. There is no pressure to play. Now, if you want to play, come to practice and we'll play. If you focus on that as a coach and can weave in very positive 
instruction and uh, productive formatting of the practice where you are playing in something that prepares them for what it is that is their goal, then you don't have to put the pressure on kids. You're getting the same result while having less stress for you and your athlete. Yeah, it's interesting how we talk, you know, there's like this whole, I mean, there's talk about like, you know, social media and things and what kind of stresses that's putting on on kids. And and we use the word stress as, you know, it's definitely a buzzword to as a negative negative idea and yet it's it stress is kind of like it's also this sort of weird tool when you talk about excelling or becoming better at something you know you were just talking about like when are you going to decide to do this thing that you know is going to improve like that even that conversation is a little bit of a stressor so it's like I think coaching too in any sport is like this kind of like you've got like a you know I almost imagine like a fader on a on a you know, on a soundboard and it's like, okay, I'm going to, with this kid, I can push this like stressor here. And then you see the, you see the, uh, you know, the levels jumping up because usually on these soundboards, it's like a green is good. And then there's yellow and then it's red and you're red, you're blowing the speaker or whatever. And so it's like, I see a coach like with each kid. And I mean, I'm going to kind of get this analogy all the way out there. Like any soundboard's got, you know, 24 channels. Those are your kids. Like who's, Who's got, who can, ha- oh, wait, I got to pull that back a little bit. And it's a really complicated thing. And, you know, it's not, you're not a little league coach. You're not like, you know, showing up for an hour on Saturday to teach little kids to to swing at, at a ball. It's like, you've, you're going so much deeper. I guess that's what my whole thrust in this conversation has been. Like, you're dealing with kids on a very deep level when they show up even three hours a week, but it's every day, week after week, month after month. Um, so yeah, finding those stressors is kind of like the game at any good coach is Definitely. Playing. It's such a great analogy. Uh, and it's funny how I had to recently actually recalibrate uh, how I understood how my, my soundboard worked, meaning the kids on my team. Uh, right. Just full disclosure, I, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, one, we recently brought on one of my co-coaches as a, a co-head coach. And she told me that you know, some of the girls on team are feeling very stressed. And we, I, in my weekly meeting with that, with the girls, they let me know. And, and she went on with a, n- a numerous amount of things that should have been brought to my attention. And I'm, I'm glad she told me. So what I heard was I, I, I am basically putting too much, I, I guess, however you phrased it, I'm going to the, towards the red on, on some of my teenage female athletes because I'm treating them how how I normally treat everybody. There is a small disconnect between how I think I need to be treating them and how I actually should be treating them and speaking to them and reacting to them and providing feedback to them and just talking with them at the beginning of the practice, certain questions, qualifying uh, questions just to see how should I talk to you today? How should we go about your practice today? So a couple minutes after I spoke with my assistant coach, I saw the, the highest priority ticket on my, my list right now is now have a meeting with all of the girls, uh, empower them, give them a voice in, in, in unity, give them uh, you know some support in the form of my other female coach, and let's have a sit-down discussion 
I want to hear how you guys are feeling because I want you to know that I deeply, deeply care about you guys. I want this to be the best, you know, the best thing in your life. I want to be your support system. I want to be someone that you are appreciative of, feel supported by, and, you know, have, have a certain type of you know, love for. I, to not get too corny, but so, so we had the meeting and, uh, the girls were, so lovely and so open and it was such a productive beautiful conversation and uh the relationship now that I have with so many of the females on my team specifically the teenage females is just I can feel healthier and and I'm so appreciative that they they let let me know because you know these situations can go and go and if no one says anything you're stuck in the window of your own mind. You know, if, if I don't, if somebody right. doesn't turn your head for a second and say, Hey man, look, look out that window, you're never going to see what's over there. Right. So I'm kind of, yeah. you know, call to action for everyone that's being coached. If your coach is doing something that you don't like, let them know because the odds are every coach out there, if they're a good human being, wants what's best for every athlete and just wants you to be happy and, feel fulfilled with with the the experience of being on team and they will do whatever it takes i know i will do whatever it takes to make sure that that's that mm -hmm. everything is in line so that that's true i was just kind of wondering about the career path of what you're doing and if it if it is your career path you know what are the opportunities can it be something that has become professional enough to be you know have a life sustaining income or or is it still half this and half something else that you got to do to make ends meet. And if so, is there a future where, where it's, you know, a thing that you can do and just, just have it be, like I said, your career path? I think a career path, when you look up towards the, you know, the very peak of where you ever, ever where you want to go, there's a direct correlation between being at the bottom and helping a few amount of people. And it seems the more people that you help, the further up you go towards the top of any career. So the people that are at the very top are the most responsible for helping the most amount of people and adding the most value to the most amount of people's lives. And so I have kind of been uh, exclusively focused on that concept for the past year. And, you know, with the team at a, at a single physical location, you get there's like a scale because you can help a ton of people, but it becomes less personal. And then. When you help a small amount of people, it can be extremely personal and uh, very fulfilling in in the the sense that you get to see that person every day and see the changes in real time. But I'm realizing that you can have both if you structure your time and find the correct way to, I guess, interact with each person and be authentic and personal with everybody. Coaching is my whole life, my whole career focus. That's all I want to do. And I love working with the kids. I love working with the youth team, but it's limited. And the amount of kids that I can put on one team, you know, it, it kind of reaches a maximum where it's not the right thing to do is not, is not to add more kids to a team. It would, it just would distract from the, the program. So what I currently do is focus on helping people break through people throughout the country and the world right now. It's I'm, I'm lucky enough to be able to work with is to 
help as many people reach their goals and break through plateaus. You know, those are kind of the two things that in climbing, uh, people will come to me and say, that's, that's my issue. So I'm finding a, a ton of opportunity in the fact that there are an endless amount of people that have that desire inside of them. And I think as long as I continue to perfect my craft of being authentic and making sure that every single program that I write and way that I work with everybody is very personalized. I, I think I've said this before, but you, you really only get to do this whole life and here's who I am and what I do and here's a story about me and here's how people see me. You only get really one chance to do it. So I hear from a lot of other uh, clients that I work with that there's a lot of programs, a lot of coaches like me out there that they've worked with, but they fall short in hearing and seeing the person in front of them and knowing what it really actually takes to give them the quality service that they're looking for. It's very easy to have a person come to you and have them see, oh, look, you're a very high reputable coach. Here's my money. It seems that you make people better. I'm, I'm trusting that you'll do that for me. It's very easy to take that money and then give them a product that they paid for and say, hey, if you follow this perfectly, you will get better. But you're missing the point. And that's not what these people are. That's not what anyone's looking for. They're looking for someone that's going to look out for them and, and provide the absolute best possible world of help. It's not just a plan. It's, it's, a, a support system, accountability, and someone that will be there to talk with you. You know, that's, that's to me the most important part of all the programming that I write for anybody is I, I'm, I'm someone, you now have my number or, or we do calls every week. It's whatever level you want to work with me on. And we talk about what's going on in your life, what's going on in your training. Like what, if you're following a program, that you have so many different thoughts about that in your own climbing every day. And you're stuck with the th these thoughts in your mind. And your mind's only one mind. You know, it's not your job to be an all-knowing climbing guru that understands every aspect. That's kind of the, the job that I'm looking to do. I, I want to be that mind for, for everybody so that anyone that's in this has a, you know, a, a partner that they can reach out to, that they trust, that they know is looking out for them, that you individually, so that every week I can say, hey, here's where we left off. I know this about you. And here's what I think can benefit you going into next week or, or next month or your goals for the upcoming trip. I guess to answer the question, it's yes, I, I definitely see this as a career because the more I work on perfecting it and helping more people, the, the more I, I'm, I've been receiving support and it's been so, so uplifting and fulfilling. So what about um, financially? I mean, is that, is that, that, I mean, we don't have to get into your numbers specifically, but I mean, that's always the case too, because I think what you're talking about with, you know, sort of a product delivery, you know, that's also a little bit about scaling, you know, when, when these companies like, okay, well, we have this personal coaching, we have these programs, we have, you know, it's a little bit about just trying to um, scale it financially to have uh, enough people coming in and paying the money that it becomes sort of a career. And that, that's, I guess, also part of my question is people looking to this, like, again, you're volunteering at your gym and then maybe your gym 
you know, gives you a stipend to run the team and that, you know, that whole youth sports model of like, you're mostly doing this because you want to, but here's a little bit of money kind of thing to, okay, I, I, you know, I have a house in a, in a relationship with someone else who works and I want to have kids and do the things. And I also want to be a coach. Does it all work? And do you see a, uh, like the scalable nature of it as far as the financial part? Yes. Uh, it's absolutely a viable career. I have never been, I, I mean, it's, I hope you kind of understand I'm a, I'm a rock climbing coach. I'm definitely not in this for the yeah. money. I would have followed my right. finance degree all the way through Wall Street. Like I had, I'd had a crappy job in, at Wall Street lined up for me after college, but I would have made a lot more money, but I would have been miserable. I feel very lucky uh, to understand what makes me truly fulfilled and happy in life. And it's absolutely not money. It, and it sounds cheesy, but it's just like when you help other people and that's your only focus, you get the most fulfillment out of life. You feel the best about yourself. You feel proud to be, I just feel proud to be me when I'm, when I'm doing this job. And the money does take care of itself when you do that. I'm, I'm blessed to have my wife who makes a good amount of money as an accountant. Uh, so I don't have to worry about it, but. You know, scalability, making a lot of money out of this, its it doesn't even come up in conversation when I talk to my small business advisor. I mean, it's all about adding more value to people, add more value. I, I just want to, when I die, or like right now while I'm alive, I just want, you know, people to know and myself to know I'm, I'm the best coach there is. I, if you want someone who will, if you want the best coaching experience, you work with Charlie Schreiber because he... Will never like no matter how many people he gets, it's about you. He's endlessly obsessed with helping you achieve what you want. Yeah, I mean, you're talking to a podcaster. Like literally, this is probably my yeah. main <laughs> income. It's not my only income, but you know, I, but you know, it's just there's also the reality of like you know, I also have something of a of a benefactor in my wife, you know, but that's also annoying yeah. to them For sometimes. Sure. You know, so I'm I'm like, yeah, of course we're in this, you know, to not have a, you know, Audi Quattro that's, you know, we buy a new one every couple of years or whatever, but we also have bills to pay. So I was just kind of curious more on that level of like, yeah, does it, does it financially make enough ends meet to be a career? Um, because it's a new career, you know, it, it's not, it's, I don't think it's something very, except for at the very top level you know, the Robin Herbs fields and whatnot was a career 15 right. years ago, 10 years ago. Um, but it's becoming one and, and because of the demand as much as anything. Um, so that, that's really more of the basis of my question, not like, you know, when, you're, when your private jet is fueled up and uh, you're yeah, off to Monte yeah, Carlo. Yeah. Kind no, of okay, thing. okay. So, I kind of. <laughs> you can use my private jet okay, if you cool. ever do need Y'all to need do that. Y'all need it all the time. Um, yeah. <laughs> Just to go to the guns. <laughs> all right, well. That there's this running joke of like, oh yeah, the the those who can't do coach or whatever. So how do you not lose your own climbing motivations? Time to climb. I mean, you're you're a climber yourself. You 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 have this. You know, you have bouldering goals. Um, you you wrote me your quest quote your quest to send V13. It's easy to lose your personal needs and in the needs of all these other people. And as far as your climbing is concerned, so tell me about your balance of how you continue to train yourself, find time, 
um, do your own trips, uh, have your own goals. I think you said you're going to Rockland's coming up here soon. What are the kids going to do without you while you're gone, bro? <laughs> They're going to chill during the summer. <laughs> Just a little bit. They, they get to yeah. refresh too. Yeah, Chris, I'm, I'm a weirdo, man. I'm very, very strange. I've never for a second <laughs> lost that motivation to train or climb. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, I don't, I really don't know what it is, honestly. Uh, but the only time I ever lost, and it was like fake loss of motivation. I was just, I, I knew that I was just devastated from that last place in Myringen. That mm-hmm. was the only day I told my parents I, I'm quitting climbing. And I think I was just saying that to like have them console me. How old were you? I was, I, dude, I was like 23. Oh. <laughs> it's like, I had all these kids that I was coaching that looked up to me. I flew all the way out there. I've, I'm around all of my idols and I get last place. I like sulk back to the room. I'm, I'm rooming with Sean Rabatou, Daniel Woods, and the American team. And they're like, how'd you do? I'm like, I got last. <laughs> you uh, want to go drinking? <laughs> yeah, when we did. But uh, no, like cl- finding time to climb. I, I program and schedule out my climbing sessions uh, a month out. And then I structure everything around that to fit around my climbing. Um, and yeah, and hopefully your wife knew what she signed up for, right? When you guys uh, from, tied from the knot. From day one, from <laughs> day one, I said, <laughs> I love you. Like when, like, and I, I will remind her. I'm like, listen, I love you more than anything, but like, I'm going more than climbing anything except for this. Yeah, I like, I love you more than anything. Well, without climbing, I would be an unhappy human being. Right? So yeah, I know. There, yeah. there is that. Yeah, well, yeah, without it, I mean, my my life would. If I broke all my limbs and couldn't climb anymore, or I lost my wife, I it wouldn't even be. I mean, I would, I would rather die than lose my wife like she's everything to me so yeah so tell me then just we'll finish up here what what are your uh your climbing motivations you you actually i mean for all this gym talk um you are an outdoor climber um you've you've got what is this place the power lines or some some place in uh, i mean you're you're new york city based um which we never even got to so um yeah tell me a little bit about your outdoor climbing not not to juxtapose it good or bad against indoor climbing, but it is a part of your life. Yeah. So I was a like outdoor climber and competitor for like my entire youth career. Uh, growing up next to the power lines is a, a bouldering area in the Torn Valley in, in New York. I actually grew up in North Jersey, started climbing at the gravity vault up there. And uh, so I found this area, was obsessed with FAs, just putting up first descents everywhere out there put up probably like 50 plus first ascent boulders in this area as I developed it and kind of wrote like my own guidebook on the side and then got a chance to write the guidebook for the gunks app there, which was great. Grew up climbing at the gunks and my whole youth career, I just like, I trained to compete and uh, I would get outside whenever I could, which was like almost every weekend, but it just, I never projected anything outside. I would just go out there to have fun and takeoff climbs I knew I could do in a session or two. And so now that I'm older and I'm kind of done competing personally, I just want to pursue outdoor goals. And the hardest part is actually getting outside because I'm currently so busy with um, both businesses and uh, my, my job and my work that I don't have a lot of time for full days outside. 
And so I'm training for this trip to Rockland. So this is kind of like the story of my life right now. It's like I, I, I train inside like three days a week for one day coming up in two, three weeks or an outdoor trip coming up. So I'm working like, to be honest with you, Chris, I'm working like 100 hours a week. And it's awesome. But uh, it's it's been tough not having um, performance periods. And I got a, I get a lot of pressure from everyone because I, I kind of have made the mistake of laying out there with all of my goals. I, I tell people my goals because it keeps you accountable to them. But I I don't have a lot of chances to go achieve them. And it's very frustrating. Uh, so I'm really trying to coming this season give a lot more time to getting outside and uh, sadly my skin's actually the biggest thing that prevents that whenever I do have the time is that I get outside I try really freaking hard and I ruin my skin because my skin is just so hard for me to manage it and it's it's crappy to begin with so I get a split and then I'm out for like three weeks but uh Yep, V13 is absolutely the goal, and I feel closer than I ever have in my entire life. So it's coming soon. Is there one? Oh, there is one. There, there's several. <laughs> you know, it's frustrating because okay. the one that I was working on and want is definitely easy for V13. And it's when I end up doing it, I don't think I can call it V13 and count it. So <laughs> I know. I, I want to I do a couple. So that I know. Who rated it V13? You? No, 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 no. The oh. first ascensionist called it uh, V14, oh. actually, but it got downgraded. Okay. And then uh, I think it's going to get downgraded again. Oh, come on. Better, better Just beta. Just take it. I know. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see uh. how I feel on the <laughs> during the victory swing at the end. Is it someone famous? No. Who no. did it? No. Oh, okay. Because then I'm always like, who am I to argue with? Paul Robinson. You know? Such and yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or in my case, like you know, Ron Kauk or whoever. Yeah. Like <laughs> he might have known, I, right? <laughs> so anyway, um, I understand that you know, as we get older, like the stresses on our lives. You know, you you are working within the climbing realm, but it's still work, and so it, and it's still accountability. It's still again, you you know, financially, you have to make ends meet, and it always just starts to cut into our climbing. But it sounds like your motivation is your well well of motivation is is pretty uniquely deep because that kind of thing what you're just talking about would depress me to 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 no end you know the the constant indoor training just to get a day here and there so um yeah so i guess you you just have to play on that strength um and keep that well uh, keep digging crazy, that well man. that I, that seems to be i don't know how i got it moment. since i was 13 and never, not a day, not a single day that I've been like, I don't really want to, not even close. It's every day is I can't freaking wait. It's all I think about is my next session. It's all I want to do is just get in there and get better. That's all. I Like, I'm not joking at all. I'm, I'm honestly underplaying it. It's weird. I know. Why are you looking at me like that? All right, folks, thanks for listening, and thanks to Charlie for sitting down. If you're interested in Charlie as a coach, which uh, I think that was a good commercial for Charlie as a coach. He's dedicated. I believe in him. I'd let my kid be on his team. How's that? Actually, whatever. My kid, if he wants to be on a climbing team, he can be on a climbing team. I'm not, I'm not that 
curmudgeonly about this whole thing. Anyhow, find him at Paradigm Climbing. That's ParadigmClimbing.com. And Charlie wanted to make sure that I mentioned that his new partner at Paradigm Climbing, his coaching partner, is the inimitable Alex Johnson. So yeah, check that out, ParadigmClimbing.com. You can also find both of them on Instagram at Charlie46 and at AlexJohnson89. I'm going to assume that 89 is when Alex was born, which is the same year I graduated high school. So look how old I am, la-di-da. All right, folks, weather's been great here in Colorado. September into Rocktober. All the puns crashing down on us. You must get out there and climb. And of course, remember to check your knots. What's the matter? Oh, I have a headache. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. It's not a tumor at all.